0: Is French President Macron serious about bringing justice to France and independence to Europe? And what is the surprising link between Macron, European philosophy and the Burning Archive? The world is in a crisis it has not seen for 100 years. Some say we are already in World War III or a war to defend democracy. I say a new multipolar free and fair world is being born. Old assumptions about who rules the world and how they rule are changing. We should not panic and on The Burning Archive, I offer you calm reflections on history to help you through the crisis. Each week, I focus on one big event from the multipolar world connected to real stories of history and share a fragment from the cultural heritage of the multipolar world. This week on The Burning Archive, we ask, will France return Europe to strategic sovereignty? That is the question on today's Burning Archive. What thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee. I am Jeff Rich. I am an independent author and podcaster and. Produced the burning archive from the unique perspective of a retired, very, very minor government official and former or current historian, writer, curious about all the world's cultural traditions of responsible statecraft. And in this episode, I look again at France and Europe, building on last week's podcast on the French Uh, pension reform protests, I wanted uh, this week to join some dots. Uh, In this episode, I wanted to join some dots between uh, Emmanuel Macron's domestic reforms, his calls for more strategic autonomy for Europe, and a major French philosopher of the 20th century. The dots uh, join up his pension reforms, his statements on foreign policy and his attempts to uh, reconcile with many French who fear they have lost their democracy. As we heard last week, in a speech in the Netherlands, Emmanuel Macron was interrupted with exactly those words. Let's remind ourselves of that.
1: And our common values. Hello. I think we lost something. Where is French democracy? Where did we lose it? Where did we lost it? I can, I can answer this question if you, if you give me some time.
0: Well, this week I decided I would give Emmanuel Macron that time and explore whether, if we do give Emmanuel Macron some time, whether he can indeed deliver independence to Europe and restore just democracy to France. Or is he just another politician with fine words and no depth? Let's have a look at that now, shall we? Uh, my in-focus issue this week uh, is sort of ideas about Europe's role in the multipolar world as they have been expressed in two recent speeches by President Macron, Emmanuel Macron, on both world affairs and the pension reforms in In France. So, what has happened? Well, Emmanuel Macron has had a big, big month. He's facing a collapse in his political authority, uh, but not giving up without a fight, uh, while dealing with enormously challenging issues at home the pension reforms, and more broadly, I guess, the social contract, the sense of trust in society and democracy within France, and also dealing with challenges abroad, balancing relationships between China and the United States of America, and dealing with growing tensions within Europe itself. Uh, And as mentioned last week, the Constitutional Court of France gave its decision on Friday last week on the 14th of April, which validated the president's pension reforms despite the widespread opposition. And on, I think it was the 18th of April, he addressed the nation to outline his uh, approach to reconciliation. There he spoke about the need for uh, appeasement, action action, and ambition appeasement perhaps doesn't have the same negative connotations in French language that it might have uh, in um, Anglo-American diplomatic discussions. Uh, uh, Macron's uh, address to the nation was criticised from the right By Marine Le Pen, uh, who said he chose to turn his back on the French and ignore their suffering. And from the left, by Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who said Macron was totally out of touch with reality. And the protests, uh, with some violence or disorder, did continue, even as uh, Macron was speaking. However, since I am not one to just amplify the echo chambers, I did in fact watch Emmanuel Macron's speech myself, with the benefit of uh, YouTube's auto-translate function, to make up my own mind. Uh, remembering of course that in my former life as a very very minor government official one of my very very minor jobs was to write quite a lot of leadership speeches and perhaps to my surprise I actually rated Emmanuel Macron's speech quite highly. Uh, In 13 minutes he spoke very well and he dealt with the need to act on pensions and despite all the Uh, Rage in the street. There is no doubt that the French government does need to act on its pensions given uh, ageing and its budget situation. Uh, And he proposed three grand projects to deal with the level of discontent in French society. Three projects related to workplace conditions, to justice and democracy and to improving public services they were just sketched but they all seemed reasonable and then he tied his domestic reform issues to independence not only for france but independence for france and europe and at the end of the speech he tied it all together quite beautifully, really, by uh, symbolically linking back to his commitment to rebuild the Notre Dame within five years as a symbol that, uh, I guess, national revival was possible despite all the dissent. Uh, So that's number one speech. So he did tie the pension reforms to, I guess, national unity and national independence as well. Emmanuel Macron has also had a very busy time over the last month. Uh, On the foreign policy front, he conducted a state visit to China, spent a lot of time with Xi Jinping. And made perhaps both the current head of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, and the Americans maybe a little bit jealous and a little bit suspicious on his way back on the plane. He had an interview with a number of journalists where he said he wanted strategic autonomy and that he did not think Europe should be dragged into a war Over Taiwan uh, by the United States and he even mentioned the need for Europe not to rely purely on the dollar perhaps not such a surprising thing I would have thought given the EU does have its own currency but it totally riled the americans and then he reaffirmed those comments he made in uh, to journalists in quite measured and well-argued terms in a speech on the future of europe that was made in the netherlands and that speech really focused on improving the independence of europe by improving its economic security and this has been widely reported as uh, Macron doubling down on his comments on strategic autonomy without actual attention to what he actually said. But I actually thought, uh, again, I looked at, I listened and read. Uh, Macron's speech, which he actually delivered in English, and I thought it was excellent, really. But nonetheless, his relatively sensible proposals have really sent the Americans nuts. So, for example, here is the uh, American. Conservative commentator Mark Levine going off in an extraordinary outburst provoked by uh, Emmanuel Macron's rather mild-mannered request that Europe be an independent uh, set of nations.
1: I want to say it again so the backbenchers regurgitate it. We
0: must prepare for war against China. And look what this bastard does to us, the president of France. He goes over to China at the height of tensions, stabs us in the back, says he will not support us. He's provoking the Chinese to act, talks about autonomy. You can stick your autonomy, France, as far as I'm concerned. The last time we heard such shrill commentary, such... uh... Francophobic commentary from Americans was when Jacques Chirac uh, dared to say no to America when it wanted to launch its rather questionable uh, invasion of Iraq on the basis of false information on weapons of mass destruction. Let's just take a pause and ask America if America is claiming to be defending democracy in this new global conflict, surely it's a democratic right of a nation to set its own foreign policy. It can't be gainsaid by talkback hosts. With all that hysteria, it's probably worth actually looking at what Emmanuel Macron actually said in his speech in the Netherlands on the f- future of Europe. Uh, so he gave this speech on the future of Europe in the Netherlands and he asserted the need for independence and sovereignty in Europe. He actually began with a quote from the philosopher Barak Spinoza from, I think, the 17th or... Yeah, the 17th or 18th century, Spinoza was indeed a resident of the Netherlands that talked about sovereignty and its philosophical importance for responsibility and identity. Quite a philosophical comment from the philosophical president. And although that principle underlay all of what he subsequently said, most of the rest of his speech was fairly consensus-based articulation of sensible principles for policy to strengthen the economic security of Europe and thereby also strengthen the strategic autonomy of Europe He outlined five pillars of competitiveness and better European integration that's one competitiveness been, I guess, free market type policies, which have been a strong feature of the European Union. He secondly emphasized the importance of a European industrial policy and going against some of the market fundamentalism promoted by the United States over the last, well, since the end of the Cold War. Thirdly, he emphasized the principle of protecting Europe's strategic assets and here talking about the importance of not allowing non-european private and government interests let's say he actually explicitly refers to chinese interests previously buying major infrastructure assets and that sort of thing in europe but he also talks a lot about digital content protection so again you could say he was there talking about protecting Europe's strategic assets against American corporations and its giant IT firms Google etc. Fourthly, he talked about reciprocity and trade agreements. And fifthly, he talked about cooperation, multilateralism, the World Trade Organization, European values and the importance of the European social model of a strong social welfare net and all that sort of thing. So it's hardly incendiary treasonous stuff, despite some of the rhetoric from America. But it certainly does suggest that Emmanuel Macron does see significant threats to French and European economic and social security, not from China, but also potentially America and certainly little interest in engaging in a war in the Western Pacific new Macron's comments are really quite reasonable if a country can't assert its sovereign autonomy in foreign policy can it really be said to be a democracy if it can't pursue its national interests against those of the American government or American corporations can it really be said to be a democracy now uh, a lot of people seem to doubt Emmanuel Macron's um, uh, recent comments about wanting to exercise more strategic autonomy for France he seems to be getting a bit of a reputation for being a weather vane as in just you know shifting directions with the prevailing winds and producing abstract grandiose statements but not really following through. And as a result, a lot of people are quite sceptical of his ability to deliver the strategic autonomy for France and Europe. So I guess in the second segment of the show, I want to have a little bit of a reflection from history. Both uh, the post-1945 US France relationship and the history of Emmanuel Macron's comments on European independence and to ask what can we learn from those histories about whether uh, France and Europe with or without Macron will become more independent in a multipolar
1: world. it was in march last year europe stepped forward and responded swiftly and efficiently and has continued to do since and both pandemic and war were a big accelerator of this european sovereignty and this is what i wanted to advocate and i wanted perhaps to elaborate a little bit on this concept and what it means today and what it should mean in the very context we we, we know European sovereignty could seem as a strange word. For years, this concept may have sounded like a French fantasy. Or perhaps like European wishful thinking. I have to say when I delivered a speech in La Sorbonne, September seventeen, a lot of comments were about okay, European sovereignty, this is a French idea, this is just a speech. It will never happen. But I've decided to make this world central to my political projects.
0: Uh, During the week, Russia Today had an article by a man called Timofey Bordechov that was titled Here's why Macron's call to break away from US control is just meaningless posturing. Uh, So it's representative of that school of thought uh, that I mentioned that thought that uh, Macron might talk a big game, but he's not really meaning it. And uh, this uh, person, uh, Timofey Bordechov's argument, was that Macron would be unlike the post World War II leader of France, Charles de Gaulle. He was no de Gaulle, both in his character, but also that the world of de Gaulle had passed. And in particular, the key feature of de Gaulle's in this person's claim, relatively autonomous, strategically autonomous, foreign policy for France in the 50s and 60s, was that he had a separate defense strategy he had a separate defense command from NATO headquarters and indeed Charles de Gaulle in 1966 which was actually only three years before his final resignation so towards the end of his presidency did announce its intention to withdraw from NATO's integrated military command structure and requested the removal of all Allied headquarters from French territory. And then, as uh, Bordachev says, there was a long process after that of the gradual return of Paris to the core NATO military command structure, especially in the 2000s. Although there were some notable points at which France did assert Its autonomy, including when Jacques Chirac and uh, Germany of the time, uh, I think Gerhard Schroeder maybe, refused to be drawn into the Iraq war. They displayed more strategic autonomy than Australia did at that time. Or... Ever has. And look, other people also evoke de Gaulle as a kind of a truly independent French nationalist statesperson and paint Macron, by contrast, as a bit of a flim flam man but i think this version of the story underplays the complex history of the adaptation of french policy in europe and nato in both the de gaulle and subsequent years de gaulle left office in 69 and there were after all some significant developments in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s but i also think it Underplays the seriousness with which Macron is uh, presenting and acting on his ideas, which I gotta say was not really the conclusion I was expecting to arrive at when I started the research for this show, but that is my thought now. Now, the independence of De Gaulle and some of the other French presidents had a few dimensions. Uh, they partly reflected their personal character, but they also partly reflected the situation that they were in. There was, uh, after World War II, uh, especially in the accounts of Anglo-American historians, which perhaps we should The their bias in. A level of nostalgia for France being a great power status, um, but it was a little bit more than just nostalgia. France still has overseas territories, it still has significant influence in Africa and France was also a nuclear power with a seat on the United Nations Security Council. And what's more, it was really the key driver together with Germany of the whole European integration project, something more than just nostalgia. There has also always been a bit of a anti-American tendency in the uh, particularly in the French left and this was quite strong at times and again perhaps we can also reevaluate that to say it is just an assertive culture and it's an assertive culture and an influential culture after all in the world. Uh, we all love Paris, we all love Proust, or at least some of us do. And then the third factor was, uh, well, through a large period of time, really until, uh, I guess, the 1980s, there was a very significant body of uh, voters who voted for the Communist Party in Europe and in France in particular, and even the early Mitterrand government in the early 1980s had distinctly social democratic slash socialist policies. The, the neoliberal turn had not quite fully hit France until then, and that, that separated them from... Intellectually and politically, a little bit from uh, America and NATO. There are also strong drivers around what's called dirigism, so I guess French national economic planning, the crucial importance of the European integration project which was to some degree the achievement of France Germany and the other European nations not just the achievement of the Marshall plan and similarly the pride in the European social model which was very much seen as you know the effective construction of a welfare state which uh, the United States it seems even to this day has yet not achieved. So all of those things were sort of part of the support base for de Gaulle's independence. And all of those things are still present to some degree in different ways in France. So they're all still going to be operating and shaping Macron's leadership circle, the pressures on him, the ideas around him. Although the era, the world of de Gaulle has passed, as uh, Timofey Bordachev says, but some of the fundamental forces contributing to Europe, wanting and being able to act on Europe and France, wanting and being able to act on a a strategically autonomous foreign policy are still there. What also surprised me uh doing this research was uh how much an independent Europe has been part of uh, Emmanuel Macron's program and his presidency from the very beginning uh from 2017 uh an American obsessed and very insular media will often uh, present those sort of ideas in a very distorted lens, as Europe, you know, uh, distancing itself from that terrible man, Donald Trump, all being a bit uh, snooty about Brexit. But I think it's much more profoundly rooted than that. In 2017, Emmanuel Macron delivered a major speech which spoke... About the importance of independence, strategic autonomy, and greater integration of Europe. In 2022, he gave a major speech talking about. Uh, the same themes, including setting out proposals for something more like a political union. He's advocated greater defence cooperation or even the development of a European army. And in February 2023 at the Munich Security Conference, he also gave a significant speech in which he Talked, amongst other things, about never believing in regime change operations, unlike the Americans. Uh, I see Macron not as just some sort of flake who's putting out a few uh, words here and there in distress. Uh, to try to save his presidency, I see him as being seriously intellectually committed, ethically committed, uh, culturally committed, and also part of a, an elite. Uh, in know in a non-judgmental sort of way you know the european french leadership elite that has all those pressures on them that uh, ultimately will drive them to pursuing a strategically autonomous policy for europe even though it's a bit hard to achieve with america in its current current mode Um, And after all, a strong and independent Europe is essential to a multipolar world. So I've rather come to uh, appreciate Emmanuel Macron in doing the research for this show this week and am prepared at least to give him the benefit of the doubt it's never easy to achieve these kind of big statecraft things but at least unlike the leaders of australia he seems to be have seriously thought about it and is seriously trying. And it's worth noting, of course, that in 2024, i.e. next year, there will be an election in Taiwan, which may well lead to the return of a party more sympathetic to reunification with mainland China or with the People's Republic of China. There will also be a United States election. And in France, Emmanuel Macron will be hosting the Olympics in Paris hopefully with a rebuilt Notre Dame so it may well be an important year for a cultural reassertion of France and Europe so as I said I have been I've been pleasantly surprised by what I've heard and read of Emmanuel Macron over the last week or so I hope I'm not being naive But one of the most surprising things is a surprising connection to one of the great patron saints of the Burning Archive itself. And that's what I'll talk about in my third segment.
1: Our Europe is made of dreams. But actual dreamers are very pragmatic. Otherwise they finish with the dreams of the others. I'm a dreamer, an idealistic. But I don't want my dreams to be dreamt in other people's language. I want our music to be the one to be played everywhere, dear Jordi. I want our literature to be precisely this permanent discussion between the different capitals of our continent, with one of the characteristics is precisely to have so many languages and to be in a certain way driven by this permanent translation. I want our model of complexity, unity through respect and diversity to be the one to be preserved. This is why we have to reset this economic doctrine. This is why European sovereignty is not just a concept or a fantasy, but it's absolutely, in a dangerous world, a necessity to live dream, for ourselves as Europeans. Thank you. Over the music
0: level, you could hear a little bit of the end of Emmanuel Macron's speech in, in the Netherlands, in which he spoke of the tasks of responsibility of an actual dreamer. Uh, uh, quite inspiring words, that got quite a good reception. So look, the third segment of the podcast is a look back on the heritage of the multipolar world to find some illumination or inspiration from the Burning Archive. Uh, as I mentioned, the speech by Emmanuel Macron in the Netherlands began with a quotation of uh, by... Barrick Spinoza on sovereignty. And it turns out Emmanuel Macron has a training in philosophy. He is known almost as the philosopher president. And hence the surprising link that I found to the Burning Archive. The surprising link between Macron was to the philosopher Paul Ricoeur. R-I-C-O-E-U-R, who, it turns out, I have actually read. I'm not terribly well read in philosophy. But Paul Ricoeur, as you'll discover, is a philosopher a little bit after my own heart. He was a major philosopher who lived from 1913 to 2005, so quite a long life, and was profoundly shaped by the events of Europe's 20th century. Both his parents died father died in world war one and his mother same time so he was basically uh, orphaned from a very early age he spent five years in a prison camp during world war Two, and reflected deeply on the holocaust and uh, you know all the the tragic events of europe's 20th century and those reflections on history memory and forgetting of events were quite influential and profound. There is indeed now even a square in Paris named after him. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy summarizes Recur's work as saying that he sought to give an account of the fundamental capabilities and vulnerabilities that human beings display in the activities that make up their lives and to show how these capabilities uh, enable responsible human action and life together. He was both a phenomenologist as well as a, uh, I believe he was a Christian thinker and he was a deeply sophisticated interpreter of texts. He focused on those capabilities and responsible human action. And that wasn't the rugged, rational individual autonomy of American ideals, nor the uh, radicalized identities of some postmodern French theorists, but a humbled and responsible self that could never be fully disclosed because it existed in the complex web of narrative, symbol and interpretation. Ricoeur also emphasised the fact that we live in time and in history. He very much believed the past is not not dead. The past is not even past, I guess. Or reflected on that theme. That we form our identities through a constant task of selfhood. In mutual responsible relationships with others, he stressed open, generous and faithful interpretations of text. He once said something along the lines of a text can mean all that it can, implying that there's many meanings to text, but also that not all interpretations are equal. He also advocated avoiding the hermeneutics of suspicion, which I think was his phrase, and wrote profoundly on themes of history, memory, forgetting and recognition. And what is more, in the latter years of his life, Emmanuel Macron was his research assistant. In fact, uh, Macron edited... Uh, the well, the great work of his late life, and uh, he wrote into his 90s, that is of most direct relevance to me. It's a book called History, Memory and Forgetting. As I open the ebook version of History, Memory, Forgetting uh, that I borrowed from the local library, I read there in the preface, uh, uh, the always graceful Paul Recur saying allow me now that the work is over to express my gratitude to those among my close relations who have accompanied and if I may venture to say have approved of my undertaking I set apart the names of those who in addition to their friendship have shared their competence with me dot 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 And finally, Emmanuel Macron, to whom I am indebted for a pertinent critique of the writing and the elaboration of the critical apparatus of this work. You'll never read such a set of words in a preface uh, to Albo or not even to Kevin Rudd, I'm sure. So people have commented, indeed, on how certain verbal, conceptual habits of Macron are related to uh, Ricoeur's thought, how he sometimes very deliberately uses the phrase, uh, et mon, Tom, and at the same time, as a part of a desire to reconcile incompatible things, as an echo of that, that idea that recur had that, Texts can mean all that they can. Uh, he also articulates, people say, a recur-inspired ethics of responsibility. You can hear that in his speeches, as well as a sense of practical wisdom. It's that practical wisdom that he evokes at the end of his speech uh, in the Netherlands that was clapped uh, at the start of this segment. All this encourages us to think of Macron as someone who wants to get to the roots of French European social and political life in order to safeguard a fragile shared identity a fellow philosopher has said. And I think in reading Emmanuel Macron's speeches this week uh, I think there is still something of a flame of poor recur in Emmanuel Macron's heart the book history memory forgetting is long and complex I'm not going to uh, quote widely from it uh, but it does look at a key theme of the burning archive the podcast uh, the metaphor and the poem that traces of the past can be lost and all the past is beyond our individual memory and it is a question for dialogue about what traces of the past we forget and what parts we forgive so i'm not going to read a text from history memory forgetting uh but I will just note that towards the end of this uh, book, he evokes the famous thesis on the philosophy of history by Walter Benjamin that talks about the angel of history being blown by the storm of progress and looking back on the wreckage, conscious that no monument of civilization is not also a monument of barbarism, of the angel of history wanting to go back and mend the, the past but being blown forward in time. And that, of course, is the very same story, image, idea that inspired my poem the burning archive that became the blog that became the podcast and also became uh, my book From the Burning Archive, Essays and Fragments, 2015 to 2022. So if you'd like to explore my hidden connections to both Paul Ricoeur and Emmanuel Macron's philosophy, you should go to amazon.com or any good online book retailer and buy uh, my book from the Burning Archive where I uh, explain that essay in more detail. And you can also check out Episode number, I'll just check it here. Eight, one of the very early podcasts from June 2021 of mine, Cultural Decay and the Meaning of the Burning Archive, where uh, I explore the theme of cultural decay and how uh, how I, where I explain some of my, uh, the, the meaning and the symbols of the Burning Archive for me. Um, so you can check that out if you're interested. In any case, Paul Ricoeur uh, is well well, he's no philosopher, I guess, is easy to to read. Uh, he he's a he's uh, his writing is uh, worth checking out, and he has profound reflections on historical guilt forgiveness and mutual recognition issues which are very much in play I guess at the moment in uh, Australia certainly with the debate about uh, voice and truth-telling and all that sort of stuff and Recur's work has also deeply influenced historical truth and reconciliation commissions especially in South America there are a number of major ones around the political persecutions of some of the uh, United States sponsored regimes of the 1970s and 1980s. So very much a valuable fragment of the Burning Archive to go back to uh, and to appreciate if in some kind of simplified form. And I do wonder if Rucker's thought Is not affecting Emmanuel Macron's approach today to both his domestic and foreign policy challenges. Forgiveness without forgetting uh, was, I guess, the theme of towards the end of poor Recur's life, and that is an idea very much forged in the difficult. 20th century but one that will be as relevant or is still as relevant in the no less difficult 21st century that is if we do not destroy ourselves uh, in these next 80 years and I hope uh, forgiveness and without forgetting uh, in relationship to the past and history of memory and forgetting is something I can help just a little bit by sharing the stories that I do on the Burning Archive. And I trust that my discussion of Emmanuel Macron's ideas of independence and reconciliation may have helped you think about these issues of not just sovereignty and not just the multipolar world, but the complex process of reconciliation with opponents and people of differing views, and people one may uh, be on the wrong side of the barriers within a conflict, whether whether uh, national or 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 international war, and. I do feel that some of that seriousness of purpose, of recur, that ethic of responsibility is still there in Emmanuel Macron's heart and in his mind. Which gives me some hope that his talk about wanting to navigate Europe to uh, genuine independence and genuine justice in a multipolar world. Is something more than just political spin. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Do leave us a review, a positive review on Apple, iTunes, and uh, Spotify. Um, Share the podcast with others. Check out my YouTube channel where there's a video version of the podcast where I also load the podcast. And also do other content on the channel this week. I've done a review of five great books uh, examining the history of madness or mental illness. And you can also join my Substack newsletter, uh, my free weekly Substack newsletter at jeffrich, Substack.com. And you can also there, if you wish, choose to support me by upgrading your subscription and you'll get a little bit of extra content with all of that. Next week, I haven't quite decided what I'm going to talk about next week, but I may well continue the French theme and speak about... Michel Foucault, who who I spoke about in my YouTube video about histories of madness. And uh, at one point in my life, Michel Foucault was quite a significant intellectual figure in my life. So I may well uh, reflect on that, but also, I guess, the broader issue which faces all Western democracies, uh, all democracies, all societies of how do they Govern mental illness. So until then, do remember uh, with all the grace that Paul recur and Emmanuel Macron can summon that what thou lovest well will not be reft from thee. Bye now. What thou lovest well shall not be reft
1: from thee.